Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Wright, and this is day 69 of our 120-day Upper Room prayer campaign. And today we're going to pray for the joy of the Lord. We talked a lot yesterday about bearing those peaceable fruits of righteousness, the very fruits of the Holy Spirit. The first and most important of which is love, because without love, you cannot truly have any of the rest. But the second is joy. And I think that in a way, when you truly find love, the byproduct of that is joy. Because in our hearts, we all long to be loved and to have that place where it is safe to place our unconditional love. And when we truly find that place in Christ, it brings such great joy to our life. In Ecclesiastes, it tells us that there is a time and a season for every purpose under heaven. That there's a time to laugh and a time to cry, a time for sorrow and a time for joy. And we understand that when we went through the message on lamentation and even in times of judgment or conviction, that there is purpose and place for travailing, lamenting, sorrowful, serious prayer. This is why the Bible gives us the command that when the ministers of the Lord will weep and wail between the porch and the altar and call that solemn assembly, then the Lord will hear and will come in and will pity. There is a time of weeping. However, a true godly sorrow that leads you to repentance should be followed by joyful celebration. That when we truly find our place in Christ and we get back into the right position within him and his word and his will for our life, his great commission, then we should be able to walk in the joy of the Lord and it should be our strength. In John chapter 15, starting in verse 5, Jesus had this to say, that we might understand how to remain in the fullness of joy. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branch. I am the vine, or you could even look at that word as the root, the trunk, and you are the branch, what has been grafted into it. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. You see, my friend, when you graft a branch into a tree, the branch has to remain connected to the tree. Therefore, can the sap from the root flow through the branch that it might produce much fruit? Therefore, is the branch in the tree, but the root is also in the branch. So that as the virtue of the root flows through the branch, it produces the fruit. It makes that which would have been dead fruitful and alive. And productive. This is why Jesus says, remain, remain, abide, abide, stay connected to the vine. And of course, we understand that we connect in that place of prayer and of worship and of praise and of reading his word and hearing from his voice every single day. That virtue that flows through us that we can kind of see as that sap flowing through the tree into that branch, empowering it to be revived and come alive and produce that fruit as the flowing of the Holy Spirit of God. 
in order for it to continue to flow and continue to produce that fruit, we've got to remain connected to it. We've got to build that upper room in our life. We've got to come to that place where we prioritize our time with him that we can hear from him so that we can be led by him into all fruitfulness. One of those fruits of which is joy. And I can tell you from experience that in some of the most trying and difficult times of my life, when I came to that place where I connected to God in prayer and I began to pull from that root, from that virtue, and I began to hear from the Holy Spirit and he spoke such comfort to my heart. In fact, this is why Jesus called him the comforter and he showed me things to come. These are all things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do and he will do it for you my friend I assure you so that even in your time of trial and tribulation and grieving and hardship in the midst of your wilderness he will comfort you he will direct you and he will show you things to come that will bring you joy in the middle of your winter season he will give you the vision for the spring or the harvest to come And in this will you be strengthened to endure faithfully, joyfully, with a song in your heart. Because the joy of the Lord truly is our strength. It is a stepping out in faith because that we have believed, because that we have heard, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, because we have connected to that root and allowed the Holy Spirit to flow through us, that he has begun to move us into the things that he has purposed for us. You know, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus was able to endure the suffering of the cross. That was a Passover season. That was a lamenting season. That was a trying season for him. But because of the joy that was set before him for the promise to come that we might all become sons and daughters of God through him brought into the kingdom, washed, cleansed, and empowered. That because of his suffering, all men would be lifted up and the enemy would be cast down. In this, in the midst of his trial and tribulation, his weeping season, was he strengthened because that he set his heart and his eyes on the promise of the joy that was set before him. See, happiness comes and goes. It's dependent upon your circumstance, but joy does not depend upon the circumstance around you. Joy is based in faith. It's based in the assurance of the promise to come. It's based on the word of God and not on our emotions. Therefore is the joy of the Lord. Our strength, it will cause you to endure your season of suffering. But in order to draw that strength, we have to abide. We have to stay connected. We have to draw from the virtue of that root. We have to connect to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit flow through you so that you can hear from him and stand in faith on it. And my friend, I can assure you through experience that there truly is no greater joy than when you stand on the other side of your Gethsemane and praise God for his faithfulness from the victory. That he is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. And that joy will get you through your next wilderness. 
because for every new anointing there is a new crushing and we are not satisfied to stay where we are and God is more than willing to bring us to more and so we go through these different seasons but every time we do our joy is increasing and in that are we being strengthened to endure greater trials to come so that we can see greater victories from them. Jesus said, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Of course, we can bear no fruit without Jesus. The fruits of the Spirit are produced only because of the virtue or the Holy Spirit that flows through us. That's why they're fruits of the Spirit. His Holy Spirit flowing through us because that we are connected to Jesus. The root produces that sap that goes through the branch that produces the fruit. We're just the vessel allowing ourselves to be used by remaining connected to the tree. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. This, my friend, is the importance of maintaining a prayer life. Without it, you will die. Spiritually, we must stay connected. We have to stay in the word. We have to come to that place where we are learning how to hear his voice and be led by his spirit every day, because I don't care how long you've been in it. If you begin to disconnect yourself from it, you will dry up and the fruits will die. And because you have not chosen to abide, eventually you will be cut off and cast off and replaced with one who is willing to connect and draw from that root. My friend, I have seen God pass the mantle. People who were called to do great and mighty things, but because they refused to abide, to allow God's words to live in in them and change them and manifest through them, God eventually had to remove them and replace them with those who were willing to be pruned and to be used and to abide. We've got to have faith in God, not just one time, but daily. The Israelites had faith that God could deliver them out of Egypt, but many of them did not have faith that he could get them to the promised land. And so they did not make it in. The Bible says because of unbelief, they did not enter into the promise. And Jesus said because of unbelief, many of the original children of Abraham were cut off. From the tree. Jesus left us with a clear warning that if God was willing to do this to the natural branches, how much more is He willing to do it to us? He does not want to. He is not looking for an opportunity to. He wants all men to come in and be connected with Him. But we've got to want it too. We've got to be willing to stay true and seek Him and hear him and obey him and let that virtue flow through us his spirit to produce these fruits and it is in our best interest to do so because when we do we find true joy jesus said if ye abide in me and my words abide in you how do we hear his words only by the power of the holy spirit seeking the lord in prayer if ye abide in me And my words abide in you. In other words, what he has spoken has to live in us and produce good fruit through us. We've got to believe it. We've got to walk in agreement with it, not just mentally, but physically by our actions and our lives. We've got to be it. And we've got to humble ourselves in the first place to be willing to seek it. 
Because if we create a God of our own making, then we are just faking it because we are not truly plugged into the true root. Therefore, are we not empowered by it or saved from the fire by it? If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Remember that Jesus said they will know that you are my disciples by your love, and love is the first fruit. Jesus said that when you produce the fruits of righteousness, the fruits of the Spirit, it is an evidence that you are truly following him. That Because remember, disciple means a disciplined student of the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus saying that if my words abide in you, if you truly believe what I have said, not in the traditions or doctrines of men, not in what we've heard on television, not in what we've read on social media, not in what we just keep repeating because it's what we heard that our grandparents believed in, but what Jesus Christ said. My friend, get on your knees, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, open the word of God, start reading the red letter teachings of Jesus Christ himself. He was an amazing preacher, teacher, prophet, and evangelist. He will teach you amazing things. And Jesus makes it very clear that when we truly do this, then whatever we ask, he will fulfill because he knows that he can trust us, that we will walk out his will and rightly represent him with the gifts and callings that he gives us. And it is his desire to do so because that God is glorified when we produce these amazing fruits. When we love others with this uncommon love that caused men to step back and question, where is this coming from? When we walk in the joy of the Lord when everyone else is in confusion. When we walk in great peace in the midst of our suffering. When we move in humility when everyone else is pitting for greed and vanity. When we move in meekness and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all patience. When the world around us is demonstrating selfishness, no discipline or self-control. When the world sees the peaceable fruits of righteousness demonstrated through you and me, they know something is real here something is different they can say as the pharisees even had to say that that these people must have been of god they are changed there is something different in them this above all else glorifies the father there are many manifestations and demonstrations that we can think of but my friend your life will be the greatest demonstration of the power of our Christ. If you connect to him, abide in him, and let him produce these great fruits in you, you will become a light to all men. And in this, Jesus says, will we truly be his disciples? He continues to say, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. In other words, continue to show forth the same love that Christ showed, that sacrificing, sacrificial, uncompromising love for God, for men, and for the truth. And then he says, if, if, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide 
in my love. When the New Testament says commandments, it really means anything that God speaks because when he speaks, we should obey. So Jesus is saying that if you do what he said, you will abide in love because everything that he told us to do was really just instructing us in how to truly walk in love, which is sacrificial and selfless because true love, agape love, is sacrificial and selfless. So much of what he commanded us to do was just to show us or demonstrate us or prove to us what true love should look like in us. So he says, if you keep my commandments, my words, my sayings, in other words, continue to obey them, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And he has done it all for our good. He has laid it out for us not to be controlling, but to instruct us in how to do what is right, that we might have joy and peace and produce those fruits and walk in glory and be with him in eternity. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, not to control you or condemn you, but that my joy may remain in you, that he might remain joyful in us because my friend, it grieves the Holy Spirit when we do not walk in righteousness, when we do not obey the words that God had to say, when we are not in right standing with him, it grieves him, it hurts him. And he wants to have that joy remaining in us. But not just for his joy, he says also that our joy might be full. It's just like when you have to correct your children or when you give them good counsel. It's because you love them and it gives you such joy when they obey it and trust you. But you're also saying it not just for your own peace, but because you love them, you want them to walk in the fullness of joy. You want them to be able to walk in everything that you can provide for them. You don't want them running off and making mistakes. My friend, God gives us his word because it is perfect. It's the right way. And when we walk in it, his joy is full. And ours is also because that it brings us to the best that God has for us. We may have to go through a wilderness season to achieve it. But just like Jesus, if we hold fast to the joy that is set before us of the promise, we will make it through our Passover to our Pentecost and it will all be worth it. My friend, the joy of the Lord truly is our strength. And then Jesus clarifies. He said that if you remain in my commandments, then you will have this great joy. And he tells us here, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. As Jesus loved us, so ought we to love one another. And if we do that, then by default, everything else that he said, we will do. Not having to figure out if we should or shouldn't, but just as a byproduct of walking in that selfless, sacrificial love. Greater love hath no man than this, he says, than that a man should lay down his life for a friend. Again, pointing out the sacrificialness that true love is. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever. I command you. In other words, Jesus is laying a condition here that he will count us among his friends if our love is proven 
in the fact that we believe what he has spoken and walk in it, obey it, fulfill it, demonstrate it, remain or abide in it. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. This is joyful. My friend, when you truly come to that place where you know that you are in right standing with the Lord, you've gotten everything on track. You have come to that place of weeping and repentance and you have been taken into the family and he begins to reveal things to you and prove to you that he trusts you and he loves you and he has good plans for you. And you know that he is a true friend that sticks closer than a brother. What joy does this bring to those who truly believe it see it know it and receive it he says ye have not chosen me but i have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the father in my name he may give it unto you i have to explain this to you because this is just so beautiful You see, in the time that Jesus was speaking to his disciples, you have to understand the culture. In this culture, there would be rabbis who were learned in the Torah, in the word of the Old Testament, that had studied many years and proven themselves to have great knowledge and intellect. And it was a very coveted position that people sought after to be a disciple of one of these rabbis that they could learn from them that they could be taught by them until they had come to a place where they were considered to be just like them and able to walk as a rabbi themselves that they would be able to then teach the exact teachings that their rabbi had taught to them they repeated the same things they believed the same things they did the same things And many people sought this thing out and in some cases even fought this thing out because that it was such a coveted position that these people were asking, I want to be your disciple. And the rabbi was picking and choosing and deciding who was the most worthy. Well, Jesus never attended any Bible college. Jesus had no paper credentials. Jesus had no titlement or entitlement of men. He had never been under a rabbi, that any man could say he got these teachings from them. Jesus was taught of the Father. And therefore, Jesus was not sought by men who thought that they could mimic him like those who sought the rabbis. Jesus went to the lowly places where the people who maybe at one time had desired to be a disciple of the rabbis, maybe they got rejected and they went back home or maybe in their heart they never felt like they were worthy or able to attain to that so that they weren't seeking after these rabbis they had gone back home and they were fishing Jesus left the big city where the colleges were and most of your rabbis and disciples and he went out to this little fishing town the name of the town translated literally means fish house or fishing town and in that fishing town he found most of his disciples men of low degree of no education very humble hard-working men fishermen men who would have been rejected by the traditions of men and jesus came to them and chose them and said come and follow me 
Now, of course, they had a choice to make in this also because that they had to agree. We understand that because the rich young ruler was not willing to be all in. So therefore, he could not come and, and follow the king. But the point remains that Jesus did not wait for men to come to him and say, I think I can be like you. Jesus went to them and said, I choose you, come and follow me. And when Jesus reminds them here that he chose them, they did not choose him. What he is really saying is that from the beginning, I believed in you. I knew that you could produce the same fruits that I do. Because to be accepted by a rabbi was in essence the rabbi acknowledging that he believed that you had the potential to walk in his shoes. To do what he could do. To be like him. Which is what the word Christian literally means. To be like Christ. But in order to do that, we've got to produce the fruits of that. And in order to produce the fruits of that, we've got to learn how to abide. To pray. To get into that word every day. And say, Lord, teach me. Speak to me. And I will believe what you have to say. Not what my flesh wants to hear. Not what the traditions of men have told me. Not what doctrines have conformed me to believe. But what does the word say? Speak to me. Reveal your word to me. Teach me. And I will abide in them. And because of it, produce much fruitfulness to the glory of the Father which is in heaven. And of course, this passage continues. Jesus warns them that because we are in him and believe his words, we will be hated by nearly all men. And he reminds us that they hated him, so they will hate us also because most people don't like to come into agreement with the truth of the gospel. We may create another gospel or another Jesus. But if we truly do, we will be pleasing unto the Lord and bring such joy to God's heart. And in doing so, will we be strengthened with the joy of the Lord also. So I want you to understand the power of having the joy of the Lord, but I don't want it to be misunderstood in thinking that it means that our Christian walk will always be a bed of roses. I assure you, my friend, it will not. There will be times of weeping and of sorrow. But the scripture likens it to the birthing of a child. That even though there is a laboring season to bring forth, we are doing it because of the hope of the joy that is set before us. And when that promise comes to birth, the joy of holding that child makes you forget all of the pain that has been laid behind you. However, this is in reference to those who are saved and walking in God's ways. But for those who are not yet, those who are not in right standing, so that those who are truly walking in righteousness can have peace even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of judgment upon the Israelite nation. Those who were in right standing knew that God would protect them, defend them, and even use them in it so that there was still that element of joy in the midst of suffering that their life was not being wasted. Now, having said all of that, we've been talking about those who are in the Lord, who are in right standing, walking in righteousness. But what about those who are not? Where does joy come in for them? In Nehemiah chapter 8, 
verse 9, we read this situation where the nation of Israel had been brought into captivity because that they had strayed from the Lord. They still called him their God. They still professed to be his people, but they were not abiding in his words. They were not obeying what he had told them to do. They were not producing those peaceable fruits. They were not walking in love towards their brother. They were not walking in humility and kindness and all of these things. And so that they had to be allowed to be brought into captivity so that God could humble them and bring them back to a place where they might see that what God was speaking to them was not to control them, but to prosper them and to bring them joy and great peace by allowing them to be turned over to the enemy. Because when we serve the enemy, when we choose to believe the enemy, there are times when God will step back and say, okay, I will let you see that he is a liar and a deceiver and he is out to do nothing but hurt, harm, and destroy you. When you cry out, I will rush in and save you, but I want you to see that you cannot believe what he is speaking. You need to learn to trust in me that what I do is for your good. It is to bring you joy. And so after going through this season, God used Ezra and Nehemiah to bring the children of Israel back. And as Nehemiah built the wall and did the physical work to rebuild the infrastructure of the church, Ezra was a scribe who did the work of bringing the word of God back to the people. He released this word to the people. He began to read to them the scripture so that they could see how far they had gotten out of alignment with it. Though they professed God as their God and their king, they did not serve him as their God and their king. They had actually created a God of their own making, which was more a mixture of the cultures that they had been overtaken by. But in reading the word of God to them, Ezra gave them the opportunity to come into alignment with it, to say, okay, today, I choose to believe the word of God and abide in it again. And to this we read in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 9, And Nehemiah and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, and as they came to realize how far they were off track from the scripture and the word of God to the point where they truly were not even serving God, though many may have thought that they were, they began to weep and to wail. They were struck by a godly sorrow because the Bible says there is a godly sorrow that leadeth to repentance. And so they were struck by this godly sorrow, this grief in their heart that they realized that they had grieved the Lord, that they had strayed from his ways, that they were not obeying him or pleasing him or following his leading. They wept and they wailed in tearful lamentation and repentance. And this is the proper response to this. However, once repented, there's no reason to stay in condemnation because the Bible says that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Does it say that there's no condemnation for anyone? No, the Bible says that those who reject the word, they are condemned already. But for those who come into agreement, into alignment with the word of God, there is no more condemnation. These people had repentance 
repented. And so they came before them and they said, you don't need to cry and weep anymore. This is a good thing. This is a good day. You have been convicted of your sin because my friend, there's a difference in condemnation and conviction. We need to be convicted over sin that we might come before him in tearful repentance. But once that we have repented, we don't need to continue in condemnation. We need to start rejoicing because that he has made a way for our salvation. And this is what happened. It says that Nehemiah and Ezra the scribe and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God, more not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the word of the scripture. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them whom nothing is prepared. In other words, make sure you share with those who don't have for themselves. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry for the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, hold your peace for this day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to sin portions and to make great mirth which is rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. My friend, this is beautiful. God is saying that when we come to that place of understanding our need to repent, then we need to cry out and lament over our sins. But in that moment, when we come to recognize that we have turned away from our error and the lies of the enemy and come back into alignment with God, that we have gotten back back into position with the destiny that he has called us to with that which he has commissioned us to do when we get back into right standing into alignment with him it is time to start rejoicing because the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul said that there is no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. My friend, God grieves. The Holy Spirit is grieved by our sin and disagreement with the word and will of God. But when we come back into alignment with it, when we repent of it and come into salvation, he rejoices because that his children are walking again in the truth. They're abiding in his word and his word abides in you. And in that we should rejoice with him. He is happy. He is not mad. He is not continuing to fuss at you. He is so glad. And we've got to recognize that and accept that and rejoice with him in faith because he loved you enough to make the way. My friend, we do share in the sufferings of Christ. The word of God says that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We bear it in love and in intercession for the lost. But also do we share in the joy of the Lord for the redeemed. We need to start rejoicing when the lost are found and we need to rejoice with him when we get off of that shifting sand and back on solid ground standing on the true word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ which brings us newness of life and produces the peaceable fruits of righteousness in us. When we get back on that straight and narrow path, there is such joy in that. God joys in it. It brings his heart into fullness of joy and it should bring ours also because not only should we joy that he is joyful over our repentance, but also that it brings us back in alignment
content with the will that he has for us, which is good because his word says that his plans for us are good and they are meant to prosper us and not to harm us. We need to start rejoicing that he is going to get us to the promise because when we have faith in the promise and start moving in joy in the promise that is set before us, we will be able to endure our cross in the season of testing. The Bible says that there is a song of the redeemed that will be sung before the throne of God, that it is a song that only the redeemed can sing. You see, the Bible says that the angels of the Lord, they sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty before his throne continually day and night. They sing of his holiness because they are there. They experience, they recognize the holiness of God. They know it so rightly, but there is a song that they cannot sing sing because they have never experienced redemption. There is a song that only the redeemed can sing. It is the song of the redeemed. And I truly believe that that song is a joyful one. That more than anything, when the redeemed of the Lord, they come before his throne, they will come to sing, to lift up their voice and to make a joyful noise unto the Lord because the joy of the Lord that comes from that place of knowing that I fell from grace. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was damned for all eternity, but he picked me up. He put my feet upon a rock. He set my feet to dancing. He saved me from the judgment. He took me out of the dunghill and, and out of the gutter and out of the filth. And he put a robe and a ring on me and a crown on me. And he made me more than I could ever hope to be. He changed me. He delivered me. He healed me. He set me free. And that puts my feet to dancing like David did because David, he experienced what it was like to fall away and to be redeemed by the grace of God. And this is what he had to say. And I believe that it is a glimpse into eternity to the song that the redeemed will sing when they stand before their King in Psalms 95 verse one, it says, O Lord, let us come unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with Psalms for the Lord. Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. My friend, this has been my anthem from the beginning. As a worship leader, I said it doesn't have to sound good. It just has to be a joyful noise unto the Lord. It doesn't matter to God. He wants a people that truly love him and believe and are worshiping him and are thanking him and are moving in the faith of rejoicing with him for the salvation of themselves and other men through them because that he is mighty, because that he is good, because that he made a way, because he is our redeemer, because he is worthy and the song of the redeemed should come forth to shine that in the earth and out into eternity. We need to do it so that God can hear it. We need to do it so that the men around us can hear it and it glorify God. And we need to do it so that the devil can hear it and be defeated. And the fact that he has not won over us in our wilderness season, but we have come out in the strength of the spirit, which is the fruits of the spirit and the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's where we praise him 
from the victory and are strengthened for greater battles to come. My friend, you need to sing the song of the redeemed and start rejoicing before your king. Because as David said, it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be talented. It doesn't have to be skilled. It doesn't have to be quiet and it doesn't have to be loud. It just has to be joyful. Make a joyful noise. It doesn't have to qualify for Broadway. Broadway was named after the wide path to destruction anyway. Do you realize that? That everything that Broadway represents, which has become much of what the church represents today, was actually named after the broad way, the wide and broad way, the path that leads to destruction. That's not what God is about. God wants a people who love him and are willing to lift up a shout of praise and rejoicing because that they have read his word and come into agreement with it and repented of their sin. And allowed that conviction, that godly sorrow that leads to repentance to cause them to cry out to him and receive his salvation. That their sorrow might be turned to dancing and joy and rejoicing and that they might share in his joy because that he has no greater joy than to know that his children are now walking in the truth. My friend, he made a way for you. Step into it and receive the joy of it. And you will be strengthened by it. God, we thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We thank you for your great suffering. We thank you that you give us your word of truth. That we might read it and believe it and come into agreement with it. That we might be redeemed from the curse of sin. That we might be brought in to right standing again. And rejoice with you as you rejoice. Because you will have such great joy when your children come into to the truth. God, I thank you. And out of that joy that it gives me, it should give me strength to go out and to help to lead others to you and to walk in love and all of the fruits of the spirit. That's why I believe that joy is the second gift because love is the most important. But once we recognize how much you love us, it should bring us into joy, which then strengthens us to be able to produce the rest of the fruit or to walk in the rest of those fruits. It starts with love. We've got to have faith in your love because love casts out fear. Those who fear are not made perfect yet in love. God, we've got to have faith in your love that you died for us to bring us in, that you want us there, that you do not condemn. You do convict so that we can come back into alignment and repentance. But what's in repentance, we do not need to continue being condemned by the past. It is gone. It is washed away. There is a new day. You are God. You can change everything. You can change our situation. You can change our nation. You can change us. And we give you glory for that. And we rejoice in that. And I pray that you put a song, a new song in the hearts of the people and in their mouth from this day forward that have come into alignment and agreement with you that they would recognize that you rejoice over them with singing so that they might rejoice back with singing that they may then be strengthened to walk in all the other fruits of the spirit to do those things which glorify you. God, I pray that you give the people an ear to hear what you are saying today. God, we give you praise. We lift up your holy name. We thank you that you walk in through thanksgiving and praises which are releases of faith. God, we thank you that today you smile upon us. We thank you today that you made a way 
to redeem us. And we will sing to you of your goodness, of your graciousness, of your loving kindness everlasting towards us. And even when the enemy comes to confuse and confound us, we will say, get ye behind me, Satan, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. I can endure any suffering because there is a promise set before me of great joy, a promise of eternity with my Lord, a promise of something that he has given to you personally, the salvation of a loved one, a destination, a destiny, or even the reviving of a nation. What joy it will bring when we praise you from the victory because we have endured for the hope that was set before us knowing that it will be a joyous day. And so my heart rejoices now in faith and I give you praise in Jesus name. Come in for we will fill your carts with dancing and with praise and we will lift up your holy name. Once that men have come in and repented of their sin and set their eyes on you, the prize of Jesus Christ and believed your words again. And what joy does that bring us who press in to know that your children are walking in the truth again. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.